everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. So today I have something really exciting that I want to share with you. There's an event happening here in Joshua Tree in September that's described as a landmark celebration, and that is not an overstatement. It's called the Synchronicity Matter and Psyche Symposium, and it's going to be taking place at the Joshua Tree Retreat Center here in Joshua Tree the weekend of September 12th through 14th. Now, I really wanted to share some information with you about this event on this program for a couple of reasons. One, I think this is a really important topic for us to be considering at this point in time. It's one way of exploring our conscious relationship to the cosmos, to the unseen, as we usually call it on this program. And it's a particular, it's a topic that's particularly suited to the desert. The desert really is a creative edge. As the original wilderness, this is a place where we're in kind of a liminal space, just on the outside of civilization. And that means that this is a place where a lot of creative energies can erupt. That's why the desert is mythologically a place of revelation. So I'm very excited that this topic and this event are being brought to us here in Joshua Tree in September. And in that spirit, I wanted you to really get the lowdown on the symposium. And I have invited one of the primary movers and shakers behind it, Gary Broboff, to talk with us today about synchronicity and his interest in the topic and to introduce us to some of the speakers and the events that are on tap for this symposium. So briefly, by inter- to introduce Gary, and if I leave anything out, Gary, feel free to add it when I turn this over to you. Uh, Gary is a Jungian-oriented psychotherapist in private practice. He has clients around the world and specializes in archetypal coaching. He is also the author of Crop Circles, Jung and the Emergence of the Archetypal Feminine. And that is originally how I met Gary, he brought his work on crop circles out here to Joshua Tree several years ago, and I had the privilege of going to that presentation. So I'm really excited that um, that he's coming back and bringing his work and the other collaborators that he's accumulated to our community. Gary got a master's degree at Pacifica Graduate Institute, and he writes and speaks internationally exploring the ancient themes that draw us further into engagement with life's deep mysteries. So I'm very excited to have you here today, Gary. <laughs> did, did I leave out anything important that you want to add? That's great. Thank you, Alan. I'm so excited to be with you, too. Oh, good. Good, good, good. All right. Well, so I know that our time is going to really fly by, so let's kind of leap into the topic. I was hoping that you could start by, by explaining a little bit what synchronicity is? Well, um, synchronicity is a word that was coined by Carl Jung uh, about a hundred years ago, and it refers to you know the meaningful coincidence of events, um, things coming together in such a way that 
the meaning is, is apparent and so apparent that to deny it would actually be, be odd. Um, so, you know, there's all kinds of classic examples throughout history and, and today and throughout our personal experience. Um, one of the classic ones that Jung talks about is called the scarab beetle synchronicity. And he was talking to a client about their dream, and in the dream there was this piece of jewelry that resembled a scarab. And as they were talking about this, there was a tap at the door, and Jung opened the door, and in flew a scarab beetle. And this woman who was having the dream had lived in a very overly rational, you know, tightened down kind of reductionist worldview. And this break in from the irrational, from nature, uh, through this beetle was kind of the piece she needed to loosen up and, 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 and break out of that uh, reductionist shell and that rational shell she was in and get into this other half of life that is full of mystery for us. And, you know, um, what was your word for it, Catherine? Full of mystery for us. Um, the unseen. Yeah, the unseen. You know, that, that part of, of reality that is there and potent with meaning, but it's not always in our face and it's not always responding to our ego. It's, it's, it's there and, and carries us and holds us with meaning at certain times. And I think a lot of folks will have had those kind of experiences, um, whether they're little ones or big ones. You know, I've had a little one where, for example, I was on the phone with someone, and as I bent over and was picking up a nickel while I'm holding the phone in the other hand, they said, well, that's my five cents. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, that's a little one, but there's bigger ones. Um you know, someone I know recently had one that was um, very profound. And, um, you know, when I talk about it, I've only talked about it, this is the second time. And and um, the person who had this experience is going to be at the symposium is going to share this story with us. But very briefly, they um, were called, they just felt one night, they, they couldn't sleep, they couldn't you know, watch a movie, they just felt, you know, this energy moving in them or whatever you want to call it, and and they decided to go, go for a walk and, and, you know, felt called to leave their house. And on this walk, they found um, a young man who had had a, an accident and was uh, unattended in the road and, um, and may not have been found if they had not gone for this walk. And... Um, this person saved their life by, by, by following that instinct and just this inner uh, compulsion to, to leave the house. And um, the synchronicity extends beyond that in that a few weeks before they had been uh, at an uh, art studio and uh, drew a name from a hat at random to complete the second half of an art project where one person does the first and one does the second and the literally random, and weeks later, um, after this young man who had had the accident was in the hospital and recovering, uh, they realized that the person whose name they had picked from that hat was the young man's father. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. So those kind of things are a part of our reality, and they're a part of our reality that the dominant culture that we live in 
really wants to tap down and deny and you know the the world we live in tends to want to make us you know value each other only for our material purposes for utilitarian reasons for economic reasons and you know all these things worldly things that you know our culture really puts the emphasis on and then there's this whole other magical um Found sacred uh, existence going on all around us that we see in that example that is um, undeniable and um, connected to our hearts, connected to our feelings, and connected to the value of each of us, and uh, reminds us that there's a lot more and something special going on in the world, and that each of us has a place in it, and. Um, you know, I think about I think about that story. Something that comes to mind is, you know, we've had this horrible rash of, of shooters lately, and 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 I, I think of those folks, and, and you know, you really couldn't be further from the kind of worldview that that synchronicity is trying to, to tell us about and trying to direct us to. Um, you know, those folks that go around and do those things have lost their sense of belonging to anything greater. And our society really encourages them to do so. Um, you know, when we value things just for their surface, their power, or their, their monetary value, or their wealth, or their economic status. And with synchronicity, it's this, you know, the unseen, this force that is reminding us of something much greater and something that's connected to our hearts and to the inherent worth of each and every one of us. And, you know, I think that's very close to um, the good side of what a lot of religions are, are trying to, to teach us. And, right. And, um, yeah. Right. Yeah, there are a couple of things that you said there that I want to comment on briefly because they're very common themes in this program. One of them is being alert to the fact that we're we're in a paradigm. You know, we're we're in a story. So there are many things today that we have a tendency to discount. And we need to be alert to the fact that we are doing that, by and large, because we have been trained to, <laughs> not because we're necessarily in possession of some greater or more sophisticated truth. Right. And, and one place that you can find um, evidence of that, at least to me it constitutes legitimate evidence, is in the stories that we have inherited. You know, when uh, we spend a lot of time on this program telling fairy tales. And one of the things that happens in fairy tales all the time is the synchronistic. Help appears. The right person at the right time, you know. And there's this marvelous marriage that is not intended by the hero or the, the hero or the heroine between their destiny and what they're trying to do on a conscious level and the larger psyche. And um, so anyway, I, I, the, it, I'm glad that you went in that direction uh, with this because I, th I think this is all completely right on in terms of how we need to take seriously and be supported in taking seriously our lived experience of the unseen reality. 
That's part of what I think is really cool about the symposium, because to get together with a bunch of like minds, serious people, uh, and really explore this in a way that's going to be informative and also just really joyful and fun. I I mean, I can hardly wait (laughs) for September. Yeah, and that's the thing. There's a whole bunch of things that I want to, you know, respond to what you said with, but you know, just briefly, that you know, the speakers at the symposium are, are really world-class people, and they're they're grounded and they're objective. And you know, this isn't a big woo fest. A lot of people would maybe like to blow it off as such, but everyone's bringing objective evidence for their point of view. Um, certainly, amongst the headlining speakers, and that everyone involved is grounded and um, you know, really living in reality. And you know, what you talked about with um, fairy tales, Jung like to point out that, you know, the, the real crux of the fairy tale very often is not achieved by the hero. It's very often through nature or through an animal or some kind of the irrational comes in and, and the unseen comes in and turns the event in the hero's favor due to a, you know, and you can, you can, you can say, well, that there's a worth there, that there's an emotional piece, that the hero is emotionally uh, or, or spiritually um, worthy of that assistance. And that kind of worldview is the same point of view that the entire basis of Taoism and the I Ching, where you have these ancient Chinese texts, that we're looking at the, the way in which our emotional states are related to the world and that there's that interplay of, you know, if we can be humble and, you know, genuine, that there's a different way that the universe unfolds for us. And in fact, that reminds me of, you know, Jung talked about the the most important thing in in therapy is simply honesty. Mm -hmm. Now, there's no point in doing therapy with someone who's dishonest with themselves. Um, You know, you're wasting both people's time. Right. Um, Right, right. Yeah, this idea, this the, this concept of worthiness is something that we've been talking about just very recently on the program in the context of a story called The Maiden King and then another one, Valamon, The White Bear King. And, um, you know, we're so... We, we're so tuned into that idea. I mean, instinctively, you can feel that it's right. And then if you step back and ask yourself, worthy, who's the judge or to what? I think for me, that immediately catapults me into this implicit understanding that there is something larger going on, you know, that's not necessarily judging, but has an integrity, you know, and that mm-hmm. and that I need to show up in some form of integrity in relationship to it. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Yeah, the, yeah, that there's an objective level of right and wrong, and it's not something that can be simply codified in a bunch of rules, but that nonetheless that it exists. Right, right. So tell me about the upcoming symposium and what, in store for those of us who are going to attend <laughs> if you could i know it's going to be hard like where do you begin there's so much there and i want to make sure the website gets mentioned in this so i'm just going to say now the website where you can get 
any logistical information and also details about the schedule that we won't get to in this program is available at www.matterpsyche.net. So now I know I've taken care of that. So great. So. <laughs> yeah. M-A-T-T-E-R-P-S-Y-C-H-E.net. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it really is a world-class cast, and we're very lucky to have them. Um, the first person to mention, of course, is Dr. Rupert Sheldrake, who's a Cambridge biologist and the author of, um, I believe, 11 books and 80 scientific papers, and most of which are, you know, um, you know fairly non-controversial. Um, he's the inter- introducer of something called morphic uh, fields and morphogenic resonance and the idea that there's essentially a memory in nature which explains how different, uh, you know, different parts of the plant are made by the same cells. There's really no chemical way to explain that. Um, Rupert's more controversial work or more challenging cutting-edge work uh, studies the extension of psyche of consciousness beyond the body. So his books like uh, The Sense of Being Stared At that I would highly, highly recommend uh, and Dogs That Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home, which is wonderful. It looks at um, evidence for the extension of the psyche uh, beyond the body of animals. Uh, and both of these books, they really do look at scientific evidence for this in the sense of being stared at. He looks through all the studies uh, that have been done for telepathy, and there's just wonderful examples in there. So, you know, and, and you know, tons of evidence. And when you look at all that ev- evidence, there's no question that um, the, the consciousness extends beyond the body. A few pieces from that book, just really briefly. Mm-hmm. People who, for example, people who don't believe in the possibility of telepathy score poorly on telepathy tests in a way that's significant, statistically significant. They underperform. Uh-huh. They should be right 50% of the time, uh-huh. you know, or, or whatever the, you know, whatever the experiment is. They, they shoot under that because they're disbelieving in the possibility of it. So they're, they're actually, you know, their denial of the possibility makes them, makes them guess incorrectly to the point that it's statistically significant. Interesting, interesting. And see, yeah. there's another theme that we, they get, that we talk about on this show all the time, which is, just has to do with don't even, worry, don't even start with the concept of belief. Just start with openness. Because yeah. that will change your experience of the world. Right. Yeah. Be, be present. Be present and start there. So, you know, Rupert's done amazing work, and he's wonderful. And there's some new videos on Deepak Chopra's um, YouTube channel where you can watch. And I'll be posting them. They're, they're posted on our website. You can in there that are um, interviews of uh, Sheldrake with, by Deepak Chopra that are just amazing. They're brand new. Mm-hmm. And... Sheldrake's wife is Jill Purse, who's been doing amazing work um, with sound for a long, long time. And there's an interview uh, by Chopra with her as well on our website and on the presenter video page. And she does amazing overtone singing and healing the ancestors through voice. And and it is truly remarkable to, to watch what she does in that video. And it's going to be really one of the highlights 
of the event to have her there. In addition to those two, we have Grant Hancock, who's um, author of Fingerprint of the Gods, and he and Rupert both had their TED Talks pulled by TED last spring in a big controversy. So we're, we're very lucky to have those three. And we also have Richard Tarnas, who's the author of Cosmos and Psyche, who's going to be talking about synchronicity and its implications in the world. Uh, Stephen Eisenstadt, who's the founding president of Pacifica Graduate Institute, who's going to talk about dream tending and dreams in the world and how that can bring us all together. Marilyn Schlitz, who's the former president of Institute of Atlantic Sciences, is going to present her film, Death Makes Life Possible. And that's another theme that we really get into at the symposium on Sunday, which is death and rebirth. And so in her film, she's got, um, you know, her take on that with Rupert and Dr. Jim B. Tucker. And Dr. Jim B. Tucker has been working at the University of Virginia, where for 30 years they've been cataloging children's stories of reincarnation, of details that they would have no possible way of knowing. Uh, one of the examples would be, you know, kids knowing that the kind of plane that they flew in World War II and who their co-pilot was and the name of the ship that, you know, the aircraft carrier they were on and all these details that, you know, perhaps their parents didn't even know. Um, so, you know, that kind of thing is, again, another example where, you know, we, we have to open up to mystery and go beyond the kind of, um, you know, random biological robot view of the world that our institutions are selling to us, which is just false. It's incorrect. And it comes, uh, that incorrect view comes from a, a shadow place, and it comes from uh, a place in our culture that um, imagines that it needs to be correct all the time and have all the answers. And all these folks that we're presenting at the symposium are, are folks that want to open us up to mystery and have evidence to do so. And, and, and and want to take us to, to a larger view without necessarily having an agenda for what that view needs to be. Right, right. I mean, I'm, I remember that uh, some years ago, well, now, more years than I want to remember, I was lucky enough to go to a conference of transpersonal psychologists that was in Palm Springs. And like you, you know, I studied at Pacifica, which was a marvelous experience, but the context at Pacifica is Jungian psychology, and there it, there's a whole other world of people who are handling similar or even the same ideas, but approaching them from a scientific perspective, and that was what I got from this transpersonal psychology conference. Very interesting, especially for me, because I have not... Uh, gravitated towards the scientific. And so I'm particularly intrigued by the way that Shell Drake and Hancock and perhaps others on the program take up this question of science having become another ism, another ideology rather than a practice. Um, yeah. yeah, we actually use the term scientism um, for those folks that you know, have a dogma out of their material reductionist belief. And what we mean by that is for those folks that don't believe that the psyche extends beyond the body and refuse all evidence to see it, it's essentially become a religious belief. And those folks, uh, I also call them uh, skeptical fundamentalists. Mm -hmm. uh, those are the folks that, that engineered 
the banning of Rupert and Ted's, uh, Rupert and Graham's TED Talks from London last spring. They actually are a, quite an active force um, behind uh, the scenes in TED and, and also on Wikipedia. And they're organized, and they're, um, they go behind the scenes and make life very difficult for people who they disagree with. Um, you know, they're no different from kind of a fundamentalist religious organization, except that they're very active and they love to smear people. And so, for example, um, they organized behind the scenes to have those TED Talks pulled, and they are eventually restored. But behind the scenes, still at, at Wikipedia, Wikipedia is essentially useless for anything cutting edge because of these folks, because anything to do with consciousness or uh, crop circles or synchronicity or anything that is an example of the extension of the psyche beyond the brain, they chop it down immediately. Rupert Chubbuck can't even edit his own bio on Wikipedia uh, because these folks have, have locked, locked him out. Wow. And they do that across. I mean, he's not. There's many, many, many examples. They're not the only one. They're an active force, and they, especially on, on Wikipedia and other places, Ted included, you know, they go in there and just wipe out any evidence against their belief system. So. Wow. You know, I. <laughs> so now I have to add for those of you listening out there. Here's a level of urgency too. Not that that all of us have to be active necessarily but if you are a champion for the open-minded and for open inquiry yet another reason to come and join the symposium in September um, and and meet like-minded people and un come to understand a little bit more what the playing field looks like because this is sort of blowing my mind I mean what you're saying about Wikipedia yeah it really is a revolutionary act and, and I think for me the tremendous thing is that it's, you know, we're, in supporting people like this and, and involving ourselves in dialogues like this, we're really making a, a revolutionary stand for a view that is the view that you know, is real, is nature, is our experience. And we're, we're, you know, taking a stand against these forces in the world and inside of ourselves that would have us deny this magic in our lives and you know, we're standing up for, you know, our heart and this deep and beautiful um, mystery in the world that appears to care about us and wants there to be meaning in our lives. And, you know, the fact is, is that if a synchronicity has ever happened once, that that means that the universe is designed for the creation of consciousness, for the creation of meaning, and that it values what goes on in our hearts. And that's, that's a tremendous change in worldview. Yeah. That's a world I would like to live in. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to take a minute here and tell people a little bit about the website or registration or any logistical kinds of things? Um, well, the next ticketing deadline ends July 15th. Um, and we do have other specials that go on, so sign up for our email list if you want to find out about those, and you can do that on the webpage. There's a full list of speakers there. There's workshops before and after. Graham is doing an intensive Friday afternoon before the symposium, and Rupert and Jill are doing intensives the Monday morning after. Um, and those cost a little extra, but they're pretty reasonable. And... Um, yeah, there's other events going on as well and other workshops and great speakers. And we really look at, you know, the symposium as 
not just a presentation of ideas, but there's a lot of art, and uh, we have the opportunity, folks will have the opportunity to do something called Painting from the Source there with the Viva Gold. There's painting, there's music, there's you know, going to be a, you know, parties and DJ on Saturday night and probably Sunday night too. And, um, you know, we're looking at as much as presentation of ideas, we also want to offer the chance to uh, embody that. So there's all kinds of practical workshops, including somatic psychology and yoga and a little bit of kirtan and, uh, you know, other things that we can do to embody this. It's going to be a great, great, great time. And uh, and I'm thrilled, actually, that I'm going to be doing some work with Grandfather Coyote and the concept of synchronicity, uh, I think, on Sunday afternoon. So yep. if you're interested in the symposium, the website is www.matterpsyche.net. You can also find the Synchronicity Symposium on Facebook. And as Gary mentioned a few minutes ago, they do have an email newsletter, so definitely sign up for that so that you can stay in the loop as things are added and as additional information is shared. There's already an interesting conversation about the symposium and synchronicity that's starting to take place online. So, Gary, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. This was great. I really appreciate it. Thank you, and I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're going to be a part of it with us on Sunday. And thanks for sharing the word with folks about it. All right, that's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for this week. I'd like to remind you that Radio Free Joshua Tree and Myth in the Mojave are made possible by generous donations from Mojave Wi-Fi, Joshua Treats Ice Cream, Pappy and Harriet's, Peter Spur Realty, and listeners like you. Please go to our website, www.rfjt.org, and click on the Donate button. We appreciate donations of any size. Special thanks to Travis Rosenberg for my theme music and to you for listening. Please tune in next week. And in the meantime, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life.